0: My name is Kelly Murdoch and uh, I'm on staff here at Fellowship and I have been a daughter in this house since day one of this house for almost 16 years. and um, it's been an incredible incredible 16 years, best 16 years of my life and uh, so many more uh, to be had. and part of that is because we have the best pastors on the planet. Pastor Sean and Pastor Diana. They are amazing, and and I know they're probably watching online. We love you, Pastor Sean and Pastor Diana, and uh, I'm just so excited and so grateful and humbled um, by the opportunity just to share from the Word with you today. Um, But but before I do that, I just want to wish everybody a happy Mother's Day and say to you, moms, you guys are our heroes. You guys are the doctors with no medical degrees. You are the ones that kiss the boo boos and you make everything okay. You're the ones who are our biggest cheerleaders and. If I can be really honest, you guys put up with a lot of stuff, right, moms? You know, it reminds me of a story that I heard this week of this little kid, a little 10-year-old kid who asks his mother, mom, do you have a picture of yourself? It's for a class project. And so um, mom says, sure, honey. And she goes and finds a family photo album and digs through some photos. And she finds a picture of herself and she hands it to her son. A few days later, the mom is visiting the son's classroom for a parent-teacher conference, and as she's waiting for this conference to begin, she's just kind of looking around the room, and she notices her picture tacked to the wall amongst a bunch of other pictures underneath the heading, the oldest thing in our house. <laughs> I mean, just, just disrespectful, disrespectful. Disrespectful. Moms, you guys put up with so much, but let me tell you, moms, we would not be who we are if it weren't for you guys. You guys are the prayer warriors. You're there for us. Come on, yeah, give it up for moms. So we celebrate you today. And uh, you know, on this Mother's Day, I'd just like to dedicate this message to my own mother, who was my biggest cheerleader, and she actually went to be with Jesus 21 years ago this year. But uh, she was my biggest cheerleader, my biggest influence, and so I just want to dedicate this to her. And so uh, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes, let's just pray and just thank the Lord for his presence already in this room. Father God, we give you praise in this place, Lord God. We thank you for what's already been a fantastic Sunday, Lord God. We thank you for the joy of your presence. We thank you that it's in your presence that things change, Lord God. Lord God. And so, Father, we just say right now that as we uh, spend a few moments in your word together, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord God. And we just say we're listening for you, God. We're listening. We want to hear from you today, Lord. So we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was born here in California, Bay Area, born and raised. Uh, My mother, on the other hand, was born in Brooklyn, New York, Uh, And so, you know, in our household, there was always this East Coast, West Coast thing happening in our house. But uh, when I was younger, when I was uh, in elementary school, my mother would put me on a plane and she would send me to New York every summer to spend the entire summer with my grandmother. And so myself and a few of my other cousins, we'd all get together and we'd spend the entire uh, summer with my grandmother. And, you know, things that you, you would stereotyp- stereotypically see or think about when you think of New York summers really happen. Like people would open up fire hydrants and like, you know, people, we'd be playing out in the street in the water and stuff. That actually happened. Real, real talk, real, real events happening. But one thing that we used to do as kids is we would play this game, and I don't even know where this game came from called I'm her I don't know if any of you guys have ever played this any girls out there but it was this game where we would watch you know we'd be watching television we'd watch a show or we'd watch a movie or we'd even be out in the street just kind of with people and we'd take a look at the people around us and when we saw someone that we thought was beautiful or someone that was cool or someone who had the life that we want we would call out I'm her and then if you were the first person to call out I'm her then you were in fact her and so we would act out, like, scenes from our favorite shows and our favorite movies. We were, like, totally theatrical back then, but we would act out these scenes, and uh, we would just be that person, like, for the entire time. And, you know, it's really funny, because this game, like, didn't really have a beginning or it have, didn't have really an end. In fact, we're kind of still in a game of I'm Her right now. In fact, my name's not even really Kelly. I just got stuck playing I'm Her for, like, 35 years, but... <laughs> Just kidding, my name is Kelly, but <laughs> but we got stuck in this game. And so, you know, when I was thinking back on this game, it made me think about how you and I, oftentimes in life, we kind of get stuck in this game of I'm her, I'm him, I'm them, where we're starting to compare our lives and take a, match our life to the life of someone else. And we see people who have the kind of life that we wish we had, the kind of life that we, we really um, want to be our life. And, and then we start to long for what they have and kind of overlook what we have. And we begin to compare who we are to other people. And when we do that, it, it almost leads us to a place where we begin to look at God and say, God, do you even see me? Because it, it, it seems almost like God is preoccupied with blessing other people and opening doors for other people, but yet we're still in this place that we don't want to be in kind of reminds me of kids in elementary school that were lined up in their cafeteria uh, for lunchtime. At one end of the lunch line, there was a stack of apples with a sign written by the lunch ladies that said, take only one apple, God is watching. (laughs) On the other end of the lunch line, there was a stack of cookies with a sign that was written by one of the kids that said, take all the cookies you want, God's watching the apples. (laughs) And that's kind of how we feel sometimes, right? Like, God, you're watching the apples. How come, how, how come there's no attention on me? You know, I'm showing up. Maybe you're the person that shows up to work every day. You know, I'm in this job. I show up on time. I'm here every day. I never call in sick. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my job. But yet I'm looking around and everybody around me, you know, Bill over there who's like calls in sick. Uh, somehow he's always sick on Fridays and Mondays every single week. But they're getting promotions. They're getting raises. And yet here I am in this place where I'm being faithful with what you've given me. And nothing's happening. God, do you even see me? Or maybe you're a parent in the room and you're like, you know, I come to church and I see these kids and their families, their perfect families walking in and the kids, are hair's all nice, you know, dresses are all pressed and ready to go. And meanwhile, I just had this 20-minute wrestling match with a five-year-old trying to put some pants on the kid. <laughs> got jelly stains all over the front. You know, it's a, it's a miracle that we even got into the car to get to church today. It's, an, it's a miracle that I'm sitting here. Anybody else feel like that? Or maybe you're in the room and you're single, you know? It's like, here we are, we're in May. This is wedding season. We are officially in wedding season. I'm invited to probably like four or five different weddings already. You're in a single season and you're like, you know what? I, I, I love celebrating people's weddings, but God, when is it going to be my turn? Where's my knight in shining armor? Where's my, uh, my, my damsel in distress? Where's my person? When, when's it going to be me? When's it going to be my turn? And, you know, we feel like that and then, we look to God and say, God, you must not take notice of me. And so this message today is really for anyone that has ever felt unseen or unnoticed, maybe you felt overlooked or or forgotten. I wanna encourage you today, encourage us today in the room to let you know that God sees every part of your life. You are not overlooked. You are not forgotten or unseen. No, God loves you, and he's concerned about every single detail of your life. In fact, one of his names is El Roy, R-O-I, which means the God who sees me. Psalm 139 says that there's no place that we can hide or go from his spirit, and that every day of our life was written in his book before one of them came to be. In Isaiah 49:16, uh, it says that your name is written or engraved on the palm of his hands. And in Luke 12, he says that even every hair on our head is numbered. That's how much detail God takes in you. You are the apple of his eye, and he is consumed with love and compassion for every single person in this room. Amen? Now now we say that, we know that, right? We're, we're amen and we're clapping along with that. But if I can be really honest, sometimes it's hard to hold that when you're stuck in a place where you feel like you're in a hidden place. It's hard to, to understand that. And so I'm hoping, my prayer today, is that as we get into the Word and as we talk a little bit and just hear from God, that we get a different perspective on the hidden season that we have in our life right now. That God gives us a different outlook on where we are. And we're gonna do that by taking a look at a guy in the Bible named David. David is probably one of my favorite people in the Bible, and he, as some of you may know, he he was king. He was king of Israel. He would go on to slay giants, but he didn't start off at the top. He started off in a field, in a hidden place, tending sheep for his father. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you're doing that, I just want to give you a little bit of a backstory on, um, on Israel at this time while you're turning there. So... Up until this point, um, Israel did not have a king. So the other nations around them would have a king, but what they would do is um, God would use judges and prophets to speak his word to the people, and then they would follow that word. So in this time, Samuel, a guy named Samuel, he was the guy. He was the prophet to Israel at this time. But the the nation of Israel, they were kind of caught up in their own game of I'm her. So they started looking around to all the other people around them, all the other nations, and saying, you know what? They have a king. We want a king. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 8, all of the leaders of Israel gather with Samuel, and they say, look, Samuel, we're kind of tired of having prophets talk to us. Like, we want a king. We need a king to lead us. And when Samuel heard this, he he didn't really like it. He got a little distressed, and so he went to God and started talking to God. And God says to Samuel something that I think is one of the most heart-wrenching verses in the Bible. God says to Samuel, Samuel, I want you to just go ahead and listen to them and give them what they want, because it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me they're rejecting as their king. And he said, and they're doing this, and they've been doing this since the moment I led them out of Egypt. They've been forsaking me, and going to other gods, and I find it very interesting that when we have our attention focused on everything around us, it's easy for us to overlook the blessing that God has given us, the freedom that he saved us from, what he's delivered us from. We get so distracted by the people on the outside that we miss the goodness of God in our own life, and that's what Israel was doing is they were missing it, and God's saying, you know, everything you need, you can find in me, but you're asking for something else, so I'm gonna give you something else. And so in that moment, so Samuel, he, he obeys the word of the Lord, and he anoints a guy named Saul to be king, the first king of Israel. Now Saul started off okay, but then through a series of unfortunate events, he went from following God and, and, and you know, doing things the way God wanted him to do them, and he started kind of doing things on his own to where the favor of God and the anointing and the blessing of God lifted off of Saul, and it was time for Samuel to appoint and anoint a new king. And that's where we are in 1, Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So in verse 1, it says this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel does this. So he goes out he goes to Bethlehem, he meets up with Jesse, and he says, hey, I'm here sacrificing. Hey, Jesse, I want you and your family to come and hang out with me. So they do that. So they arrive. And then if we skip down to verse 6, it says this. It says, when they arrived, so this is Jesse and his family, Samuel saw Eliab. Now, Eliab was uh, Jesse's oldest son. And, it's, and he said, he, he saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now I find it so amazing that this was written so many years ago, but yet it's so applicable to us today in 2018, because we are in a culture that is obsessed at worshiping what's seen. We love what's seen, right? We are people who love the attention. We, we want to be noticed. We, we live for and crave for attention. We live in a, in a culture of likes and followers, the people that have the most likes, the people that have the most followers. That's the kind of culture we're looking for. We're always looking at the people who are the seen people because they're the ones that are making the difference. They're the ones that are living the life we want. And even in this um, account, so after this, so after God tells uh, Samuel, Eli, Eli, uh, Eliab is not the one. He's not the one. Then it's like this parade of sons that goes before uh, Samuel. So Jesse says, all right, he's not the one. Hey, I have another one. Here, here's Abinadab. How about him? God says, nope, that's not the one either. Another one, Shammah. Let's, let's talk about Shammah. How about him? Nope, he's not the one. And son after son after son, God's saying, nope, that's not the one. That's not the one not looking at the outward appearance. And you know, when you and I focus on the external, when we're looking at the things around us and comparing our lives to the lives of the people around us, and, and when things don't quite match up, when it appears on the outside that they're doing better in their life than we are in our current situation, then we start to ask questions of God, like, God, are you angry with me? God, is there, is there something that I'm doing wrong? Is there something that's wrong with me that I can't have that kind of favor? And if we're not careful the place that we're in where we may be just in a season of being hidden can turn into a place of punishment for us. We feel like God is punishing us for something we've done. But I'm here to tell you, and and you can write this down if you're taking notes, the hidden season is not a place of punishment. It's a place of invitation. The hidden place is a place where God is inviting you and I to meet with him, to have relationship with the Father. Because if you're in a place right now where, you know, you have dreams of doing other things, but maybe right now is not your season, the only way that you're going to find peace in the hidden season is if you and I trust God. And the only way that you and I can trust God is if we have relationship with him. Because if we don't know God, we can't trust God. And if if we don't trust God, then, then we're never going to find that peace. I mean, think about it. You would never give your most prized possession to a stranger, right? I mean, think about your kids. You wouldn't hand your kid off to sh- Well, some of you might, but um, <laughs> you wouldn't hand your kid off to a stranger, right? No, you only allow the people you trust because they're your most prized possession to, to watch your kids, to be in charge of your kids. We would never do that. And so in order for us to truly trust God, we have to have relationship with him because in the hidden place, that's where God wants to meet us. That's where he wants to speak to us. That's where he wants to impart to us his plan, his purpose, and who we are. And and God specializes in meeting people in hidden places. Like he took Abraham. Nobody knew who Abraham was prior to God meeting with him. Nobody knew him. He was in some obscure place. But God made note of him, saw him, and reached him, and gave him a promise that you're going to be the father of many nations. He took Moses, who was in a prominent place. He was a prince of Egypt. He, he left Egypt, was in a wilderness t- tending to his father-in-law's uh, flocks when God spoke to him through a burning bush. He took Daniel, Daniel who was in a hidden place of prayer after not conforming to the culture around him. He met Paul on the road to Damascus, and he wants to meet you wherever you are. The word says in Jeremiah 33, three. it says, call to me and I will answer to you and I will tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. Are you in a place in your life where you're looking for answers? Let me tell you, you gotta get in the hidden place. You gotta know God, you gotta meet with him, you have to, to learn to hear his voice. So the hidden place is not a place of punishment, it's a place of invitation where God's calling us in to meet with him. And then secondly, you can write this down, that the hidden place is also where you and I discover our identity. We discover our identity in the hidden place. So after this parade of sons, where all these sons of, of Jesse are coming through, nope, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. In verse 11, it says this, so he, Samuel, talking about Samuel, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep now." Let me just tell you how cold this is. David was not even considered worthy enough that he would ever be anointed, that he wasn't even invited to the party. They didn't even call him in. They're like, no, leave him out in the sheep. He's, he's not the one. Leave him out of the sheep. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so amazing that, that he was the most unlikely one, yet he is the one that God chose. He is the one that God had his eye on. And God specializes in taking the, the ones that don't make sense. He's so, he specializes the one, in finding the ones that are not the ones that may have the outward appearance, but taking those foolish things and using them to do great things for his glory. And the reason why is because David had a connection with him in that hidden place. See, we don't know much about David's brothers. We don't know much about them. We don't know where they were or, or where their walk with the Lord was. We don't really know the kind of guys they were. But we, what we do know is that there was something about David that attracted the heart and the attention of God. And it was what was forged in the hidden place. And it was fact, in that hidden place where David was out tending sheep, that he pinned the words to Psalm 23 that says, as he was shepherding, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I'm not gonna lack for anything. I have everything that I need, it's in that hidden place. See, David wasn't vying for a position, David wasn't seeking recognition or seeking, you know, a platform or, or trying to be the big guy. He wasn't seeking to be king, he wasn't doing any of that. And it's my understanding that if David were to spend the rest of his life as a shepherd, he would have been completely okay with that because his identity was not wrapped up in a title. His identity was not wrapped up in his position or people acknowledging him or people giving him likes on social media, but his identity was formed in his relationship with the Lord. And that is exactly what you and I need. We have to have that relationship if we want to discover our identity. Are you in a place where you're struggling with your identity? Do you hear that voice in your ear all the time telling you how worthless you are? You blew it again. You think God wants you? No. You think, you, think, you know, you're, you're gonna clean yourself up? You think you're worthy to do anything? If, you, if that ver- voice is, is replaying, that tape replaying in your ear, let me tell you, you need to get in the hidden place. You gotta hear from God. You need to get your identity in who he is and allow the truth of the word to overcome the lie of the enemy, amen? Amen. It's a place where we find our identity. So the hidden place, the hidden season in our life is not a punishment, but it's an invitation. It's a place where you and I find identity. And thirdly, and you can write this down too, the hidden season is a place of preparation. It's a place of preparation. And after David was called in from the fields, God made it known to Samuel, that's the guy. That's the one I want. And Samuel anointed him. As the next king, and it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, and he was never the same from that moment on for the rest of his life. And in Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72, it says this He, meaning God, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pen. From tending sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with the integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. See, David understood his assignment in the season that he was in. And because he understood that, that even in the season of being a shepherd, I'm going to give my all to this season because God is now able to use that as a place of development for the next thing. So just so you know, God, he does not waste any moments. So you may be right now in a place where you feel hidden, where you feel like everyone around me, doors are, are coming, coming wide and swinging wide for other people, but is, when is it gonna be my turn? Let me just tell you, God does not waste a single moment of our lives. Not a single one. Because what happens is where we only see a little snippet, we only see a little corner of the picture. God sees the entire picture. He sees the entire tapestry. Every moment of our life, every experience, everything that we face is woven together to create this beautiful picture called the story of your life. God knows it all. And what we need to do is instead of comparing ourselves to other people is we have to learn to take the advice of Galatians 6 verse 4 through 5 in the message. It says this, make careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. See, I can't live my life for you. You can't live your life for me. Each of us is responsible for the life that God has given us. And so it makes no no point for us to compare ourselves to other people because my life is not yours. Your purpose is different than mine. My purpose is different from yours. But when you and I are fulfilling our call and our purpose, that's when God gets glory. That's when we find fulfillment. So let's stop looking at other people and comparing our life to other people. And also, when we, when we stop comparing, then we're able to celebrate with one another. So when you're succeeding and you're doing and you're living out your call, you're not a threat to me. I can celebrate you. And you can celebrate me. And we can do this thing together. Amen? Amen. So, so don't compare yourself with other people, but take responsibility for what you're doing. Do the creative best with what God has placed in your hands. And so how do we do that? So, so we know that the hidden season is not a place of, um, of uh, punishment, but it's a place of imitation. We know that it's a place where we discover our identity, and we know that it's a place of preparation. So what do we do with that? The thing that we have to do is we just need to get into a place where we can hear from God. We need to position ourselves to hear from God. See, we often look for God in the crowd, right? Right? We, we love the crowd. We love coming to church. We had a great time of worship, and, and you know, we, we hear from God in the big moments with a lot of people, and we go to concerts, and we go to conferences, and we hear um, these great messages, and, and we do all this thing, and that's great. God definitely moves in the crowd, but the crowd should lead us to a hidden place. The crowd should be what draws us to a place to connect with God because he desperately, desperately wants to hear um, from us, and he wants to speak into us. And the reason why he does that, why is it important that we're in a place where we can hear God? Because God needs to work in us so that he can work through us. In Psalm 91, verse 14 through 16, the message, it says this. If you hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if you only get to know and trust me call me and I'll answer and I'll be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you and then I'll throw you a party and I'll give you long life and give you a long drink of salvation. I was at a worship conference, um, many years ago and, uh, there was a husband and wife, uh, duo there, very well known, uh, worship pastors at a church. And, um, so the wife was, they were on this panel discussion and the wife was sharing a story about her husband and she said, my husband loves sugar anybody else there you love sugar so cake candy uh ice cream cookies pie whatever if it has sugar in it he's all about that life and so he loves sugar it's his happy place is what she said and so much so that when he was younger so they were, the family would sit down for dinner and the mom would place uh, his dinner plate in front of him but she would put his dessert on the other side of the dinner plate and he would eat like this so he would he would be focused on the dessert while he's eating the meal and he was so intent and so focused on that dessert that he completely missed the dinner that was prepared for him and i give you that example to say this in life it's okay for us to have dreams if you're if you're a dreamer in the room like yay you <laughs> God is the one that gives the dreams. He he gives vision. The word says that people perish for lack of vision. We need to have vision. We need to have goals and aspirations and things that we move toward. Absolutely. But in this place, in whatever place you're in in your life, I just don't want you to miss it. Don't miss the dinner that's happening right now. Because God has something that he wants to show you right now. Right now in your life, there's something he wants to do in your life. And so what I say is, you know, have the dream, have the vision, go for the dessert. But don't despise the dinner. Don't despise the right now place. Because it's a beautiful place. And it all has to do with the perspective that we have on it. Amen? And I'll tell you, what, what would it be like if you and I lived lives like that? If we broke down that wall of comparison, if we just kind of got with God and said, God, I just want to thank you for where you have me. It may not be an easy place. And let me tell you, I know sometimes a hidden place is not an easy place to be. It, it's not. But you know what will happen? First, uh, sorry, 2 Chronicles sixteen nine says this. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully his see, in that hidden place, when you and I take time to move toward God, we get strengthened. So whatever place you're in, whatever season you're in, whether it's a a hidden place or whether it's a public place, know that as you draw near to God, he's going to strengthen your heart. And you're going to be able to walk through any season full of grace, full of love, confident in who you are and confident in who God sees you as. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you mind just closing your eyes with me? Thank you, Lord. So grateful that the Lord loves us so much that he made the first step to have a relationship with us. Even when we didn't know him, even when we had no heart for him or no eyes toward him yet, he did everything he could to make himself known to us. He made the first step. And if I were to have a one-on-one conversation with, with each of you in the room and I were to ask you, what's your walk with God like? Do you have a real Right now, personal, thriving, current relationship with the Lord, what would you say? Let me tell you, God loves you and He wants you to know Him. He doesn't see past, He sees past all the faults. He made a way past all the stuff, all the junk in our past. It doesn't matter to Him, He's covered it with His blood. And so, if you're here today and you're in desperate need of that relationship, if if, if you're here and you're saying, God, I want to know you like that. I want to receive the invitation that you're calling on me right now. I would love the opportunity to just pray with you and make this the best Mother's Day ever. So if that's you, on the count of three, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hands with me, and we'd love to pray with you. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hands high. Thank you, yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you. Every hand, every hand that goes up is a soul. Every hand, it means so much to God. And and it says that all of heaven is rejoicing right now over you. So church, if we could pray this out together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and making a way for me to come to God. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I give you all of me and ask you to turn my life around for your glory. Fill me with your spirit and help me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.